Hey there, I'm Scott, and this is Tangents. So I, I have to tell you, I, um, I don't really track the listenership, but every couple of days I'm getting a message from somebody, uh, usually DM on Twitter, but a couple of different paths. And they're telling me something about something I said, or they have a comment, or uh, surprisingly many people actually are interested in doing something like this. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of, first off, it's kind of weird because on one hand, yeah, I'm recording these. On the other hand, I somehow don't think of the idea that somebody might be listening to it other than Gil. I know Gil is listening, um, but uh, other people listening just seems weird. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, uh, it's, it's hard to conceive of. And it's also, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, I mean, I, I actually am flattered by it. You know, I have uh, a couple of people, like one person from Japan, one from the UK, one from Australia, got in touch with me recently. And you think about, you know, I, I mean, in terms of most of human history, you could talk to the people who you could see or who were maybe over the hill over there. And now I'm just sitting in a room or standing in a room rather, I guess, um, talking and people on opposite sides of the world are hearing this. That's uh, just, uh, that's weird. Um, if, if you are interested in making one of these or doing something like this, um, by all means, ask. I, I would say the biggest thing, honestly, I think this is true of a lot of stuff. I mean, it's, it's very easy to kind of overthink things. Uh, just start doing it. And I guarantee the first ones will, well, I won't guarantee. Maybe, maybe you'll be a prodigy, prodigy, prodigy. Maybe you'll be a prodigy. Uh, maybe you won't have to edit things like that out, which I won't, but uh, maybe you won't. But, you know, probably the first ones will suck. Probably all of them will be a little bit bumpy and you'll just keep getting better and better. But if you don't do it, then you won't get uh, you won't get anywhere. I, I would say also, I before I did this, I obsessed about what the format would be, and I'm I'm very happy actually with the tangents concept and format. But it's more, it's an interesting thing. It's kind of, at least to me, it's kind of what I wanted to do anyway, and then I found the right framing for it. So I thought about other things, and uh, you know. There were things that I could have done or could do, but I, I don't want to make this like a physics class or a math class. Um, I don't want to just go through, you know, the, that part of the class. I'm just trying to focus on the tangents, which are, you know, the thing that I enjoy the most from classes. Although the context of the course is, uh, is important, but here it's kind of a distilled out version of that. And it just sort of is a, you know, I, I, I always go back to this Jenga idea. Um, I've gone through it before, so apologies to, to rehash it. But just in, in brief, if you play Jenga, um, this tower of blocks, if you touch some of the blocks, um, some of them just almost move on their own. Like you don't even need effort. You just brush against it and it slides right out. And some of them don't want to move. Like you'll touch it and it won't move. You know, even if you try to push it, all you're going to do is knock down the tower. 
And I think, I think that analogy has a lot to do sort of with life. And it's kind of, I don't want to say my whole philosophy is built around it, but it's one of the key components of kind of how I look at things. And I think, I think there's a lot there actually to be, to be mined. It's a little seed that if you start thinking about it, you can grow it into something pretty substantial. And it doesn't mean that, uh, I, I always want to put this in here, but it doesn't mean that there's like some overarching force or logic behind it. It's really, it just comes down to, um, there are a bunch of blocks that are sort of slightly differently shaped. They're not perfectly the same dimensions. They're not perfectly set on a completely level surface. And all of those little variations um, and the variations in the stacking and the force loading and all of this makes some of those blocks want to move and some not. And, and the number interesting thing about it is that the one that wants to move now in a, a move or two might not want to move. And the one that didn't want to move a couple moves ago might just slide out. Um, you never know. But it's important to kind of look at things ob as objectively as possible. I was going to say objectively, but being objective is not really in uh, human nature, I don't think. Uh, we like to, it's, it's easy to convince yourself that you're objective. Uh, it's hard to actually be objective. I don't, I don't even know if it's necessarily possible in principle. Um, but that's, that gets to epistemology and uh, don't want to talk about that right now. Although, one thing that I was, uh, I was thinking this morning, I, I was, I, I listened to Dan Carlin a lot. He, I mentioned this before, but he has a podcast called Hardcore History. And if you like this and you don't mind this being a little bit long, uh, Hardcore History, I highly recommend. It's uh, many, many hours long. Makes my things look like short little snippets. Um, and he goes into quite a bit of depth on various topics. And he also has something called common sense. That was the one that I was listening to today. And this common sense one is more like politics and uh, just that kind of thing. Common sense. Of course, common sense, just like being objective. It's, it's easy to convince yourself that you have common sense. Uh, very hard to actually have it. But I was listening to him and he had a guest and he and his guests were, guests were discussing some stuff. And the thing that really struck me, um, this wasn't even a direct thing that they talked about, but it kind of like forked off of something that they said, is how dangerous it is to have a really good story that sounds right and feels right. Um, it's, and, and I don't know if I need to, to go into what I mean by that, but I mean, I think a great example um, like a week ago, I, and this is actually another thing I recommend, there's a guy named uh, Zach um, Wienerschmidt. Wiener, I, I can't, I don't, I don't know how to say his last name. Wiener Smith. God. And he makes a, uh, yeah, like, I don't even know, it might actually be a daily thing, but uh, it's at least a few times a week, like webcomic kind of thing. And they're all, like, even the worst of them is pretty good. The best of them are really great. But I follow him on Twitter and he occasionally like poses random questions. One of the questions that he asked, again like a week ago, was is there something that you once believed or once thought, some research-based thing, that you later know, learned was not the case? 
and it kind of shifted how you view things. And the one that I came up with was actually one that, uh, it's one of these things that I found it kind of disappointing to learn a little bit more of the truth. But there's this idea of the marshmallow experiment. Um, you may be familiar with it. So the idea is you have a kid, put him in a room, uh, a little table, give him a marshmallow. You can have this marshmallow now, or if you can wait 20 minutes, an hour, however long, if you can wait, defer gratification, then I will give you two marshmallows. Or this idea, you, if you defer gratification, you get more. And what they found in this study when they did it, and preface, this is not correct, uh, but what they seemed to find was that the people who would defer gratification would go on to be more successful in life. And it makes sense. It seems completely reasonable. It's like, yeah, of course, of course. So what is the problem there? Um, the danger, of course, of that, and the danger that I'm getting to here, is that it's a story that feels right. It's a story that, you know, you listen to it, you read it, and you're like, yeah, that seems right. And there's even evidence to support it. If you look at the statistics, uh, okay, we have these two populations, the delayers and the non-delayers, and then you can follow them um, through their lives and see success, see how much money they're making, see what they're getting, um, how they're doing academically, whatever, whatever metric you like. And you can see the delayers do better. So seems totally, totally reasonable. The thing is, it turns out that there's a confounding variable. There's something hidden there that is easy to miss. What happens, what really is going on, um, is once you control for population parameters like socioeconomic status in particular, the people who are more successful in life tend to be higher in socioeconomic status. The better off your parents are, the better off you tend to be. And if you're higher socioeconomic status, a marshmallow, not that big of a deal. It's not that tempting is the interesting thing. So when you have the marshmallow on the, on the table, if you're a kid from a good family, I mean, good family, not that somebody's, but you're a kid from a wealthy, well-to-do, comfortable enough, let's say comfortable enough family, that marshmallow is not that much of a temptation. You've, you've had many marshmallows in your life. You know what they are. Um, you can probably delay. Not only that, but your parents have probably trained you. They've already educated you in how important delaying gratification is, how important listening to an authority figure is, all of these kinds of things. Not that that's an, a solid important thing, but you know, just to, this is the me, the background of this. If you're coming from someone or from a family where you're kind of depressed, you don't have a lot of money, um, a little marshmallow might be a big treat for you. It might seem very tempting. It's hard to pass that thing up. It's sitting right there. You could just take it. And so you think about it and you're like, oh, well, actually what's going on or what seems to be going on with all of this stuff. And I think this is very important. Successive approximations of reality. You never really understand the underlying reality, but you're kind of getting 
layers of the onion peeled back. You're kind of understanding more, hopefully, hopefully. And so rather than it being, if you're the kind of person who delays gratification, you're more successful, it's actually, or it actually seems to be, that if you come from a family where you're, you know, a marshmallow is not as big of a deal, and where you're already taught delay gratification, probably listen to an older person if they're telling you, you know, don't eat the marshmallow and you'll get two, then you're more likely to be successful. If you're someone from a family where you might not have that kind of training and where, you know, you might not have treats very often, you might be almost, you might, you might be hungry even, you might not be getting enough food, uh, your baseline needs on Maslow's hierarchy might not be met. Uh, that marshmallow is a very big temptation. And then you think also, I mean, when you start really peeling this back, you think, oh, well, if you're not getting enough food, marshmallow is a big, big temptation. And when you're a kid, if you're not getting enough food, you're not getting adequate nutrition, your brain is growing, right? You're, you're having neural development. If you're not being fed enough, if you're not in an enriched enough environment, both in terms of you know, like basic needs and the things that you know, actually work to expand your mind, that's not just something that hurts you now, that's something that hurts you through your entire life. This is one of the reasons, I mean, it, I find it disgusting that there are kids who, whose parents can't afford lunch and the school will shame them into either not having lunch at all or they have like lunch debt. You know, little, little kid has debt because they can't pay for lunch. It's crazy because their parent can't pay for lunch. This is something like, you know, just, I mean, free lunch, not that big of a deal. Not that, it's a thing that we could totally do. We are a very wealthy nation. And then there's this idea, and this goes also into, I mean, you think about like how important that is, especially like early development is going to have lifelong consequences. And, and so you think about that investment. It's not just, you know, like you're being nice to kids. It's not just that, you know, okay, lunch is free. Like, well, why would you want lunch to be free? Uh, we have this, this is another one of these stories that people tell that, uh, and again, a good story that feels true is extremely dangerous. Um, you have this idea, and, and Reagan was one of the people that really popularized it, but this idea of freeloaders, this idea of the, um, air quotes, welfare queen. And he did, he did find a specific person who was essentially a massive con artist and used her as this sort of um, archetypical example. You know, this is somebody who is, I mean, to say that she's one in many, many millions is exaggerating it in a positive way. Very rare exceptional example, crazy anomaly. And yet you focus on her because it's a nice story. People like this idea, not like it necessarily, but it feels right to people, especially when they don't reflect very much, don't dig into it. It feels right that if you're giving somebody something for free, then you're going to encourage people who are lazy. Um, the truth is, the truth is, the people who are getting something for free um, are not any more lazy than the people who are not. And in fact, I would argue 
the people like right the way things are arranged right now. And I just keep, I keep looking at this pandemic. We've spent trillions of dollars, literally trillions of dollars. One trillion dollars divided by like 200-ish million adults in America. That is $2,000 a month for about two and a half months per adult that we could be giving out universal basic, emergency universal basic income. So $3 trillion times two and a half months, seven and a half months, more than half a year of emergency 2K per month basic income. But Scott, what about the freeloaders? Well, okay, first off, if there's one in even a thousand people who's going to take advantage while 999 people are benefiting, it's a worthwhile thing to, you know, I mean, let that person take advantage. Yeah, this is a thing that people get to actually, like personally, you know, we're a wealthy civilization. If some people just want to sit at home and play video games all the time and watch um, watch movies and get stoned or whatever the, the fuck they want to do, if that's adequate for them, I don't necessarily mind it. Because, you know, it's like, why would you want to support that? Well, the thing is, you're supporting all the other people who are going to work hard, who are going to make art or make programs or make, you know, make mechanisms or whatever they want to do. Just expand their minds learning about uh, various things, developing new skills, and all of the things that you could do, even even like building businesses. I, I get, I, it drives me mad where I'll see people say, you know, oh, well, people should just, you know, th th there's this, it, this is this neoliberal consensus bullshit, uh, this idea that everybody should be an entrepreneur. And I am, I guess, an entrepreneur, but I don't encourage anyone to do it. It is a stupid path. It is like the main reason that I'm off on my own. Well, no longer on my own. I now have, I actually have people and I have, um, you know, it's, it's become a thing. But the reason that I'm off and doing something like that rather than, um, than say working at ASU where I could just be drawing a pretty comfortable paycheck uh, and have good benefits and essentially a secure job for the rest of my career. The reason I'm doing that is that I actually am just not really, um, I, I could put a different spin on this. I could put a positive spin on it that I don't want to, you know, or I could put a negative spin on it. But in reality, I just don't want to deal with all the bullshit. And I find it, I find it kind of miserable. I also find it, uh, I like being in the position where the things that I do directly impact, you know, the trajectory of stuff. If I, if I want to fix something, if I see a problem, it's still hard. It's still a pain in the ass, but I can do it. Versus, you know, when you're in Intel or ASU or something like this, if you want to change something, especially something deep and fundamental in the institution, it is a fucking nightmare to do. You can do it. You could totally do it. We need people who will do it. Um, the good thing about it is, of course, once you make that change, Somebody else trying to change it back takes an equal amount of effort, if not more. So once you've made the change, it's kind of set. Uh, although it can be done. Yeah, I mean, you can, simple example, like the National Health Service in the UK. Great fucking thing. 
Uh, the Tories, the Conservative Party, conservative, I, I hate this term conservative, um, controlling language like that and having, I mean, it's like pro-life instead of, you know, it's a great spin. It's great marketing bullshit for, you know, conservatives. Why wouldn't you want to be conservative? Conservative sounds like a positive thing. Not really conservative people. Uh, but the Tories, anyway, have done everything they can through these austerity measures, through, you know, basically trying to convert this to a, from a public good to a privatized thing. Uh, all of this stuff, they've undermined it. The doctors there get paid like teachers do here. And again, I mentioned this last time, but that's such an essential, both of those are such essential investments in our society. And when you look at the costs versus what we get, even from that kind of neoliberal bullshit, um, like everything has to have ROI idea, even from that perspective, it's worth doing. But it's also the right thing to do. Yeah, and I, I, I say this every time I even make any kind of argument like that. I don't even like making the argument because it implies that it's the right way to look at it. And it is not. There's no, it, it, even if it costs more, even if it was a net loss, it would be better to have teachers funded well. It would be better to have doctors paid decently. It would be better to have universal health care, even if it was a loss. And it is a gain. It is a massive gain. So that is a thing that, uh, and, and I guess to, to dig more at this neoliberal thing, this idea that somehow magically the market solves everything, um, this, this, this is a horrible, toxic idea. You know, there, it, it, it goes actually, I, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a tangent and I'm gonna come back uh, as I do, but it goes a little bit to other ideas that people get. Most of these are vast oversimplifications, generally not really understanding, say, human nature, not understanding the details of stuff, but they sound really good. Um, one example is objectivism. So there's this Ayn Rand, I, I don't want to call it a philosophy, uh, but to the extent that it is a philosophy, it's like philosophy for people who have never studied philosophy, uh, but they want to feel like they know something. Uh, it's, and actually I, I had a friend, well, friend is maybe a strong word. I, I had an acquaintance who was super into this stuff. And I, in, in the process of, of knowing her, I, uh, yeah, I, I ended up reading a little bit of Atlas Shrugged, one of the chapters. And I got to tell you, this is garbage, hot steaming garbage. Not anything, like, even not getting to the ideas that are there, the whole thing basically felt like, uh, if, if you've ever, if you've never read The Republic, uh, The Republic is basically the, the sort of platonic way of telling the story, is basically people are talking but they're very obviously, it's like a Woody Allen movie. Uh, you know, it's Scarlett Johansson, but you can hear Woody Allen's voice coming out of her. It's, it's people talking, but they're basically puppets to tell the story that Plato wanted to tell. And Ayn Rand aped this as far as I, it, granted, small sample of the thing, but I'm sure this is pretty much her whole shtick. Uh, she did this idea, like the people are talking, but they're really just her puppeting people putting her words in their mouths. And, you know, they're, 
it, it, it's just shitty. It's like, you know, okay, a couple thousand years ago, this was probably clever. Now, if you've read that or you've read anything similar, you're like, this is very trite. It's obvious. It's not even, it's just so obvious. Like, I, I mean, I would think anyone reading this would feel like you, you really do feel the authorship. Um, it's an interesting thing, actually. Um, I find this on Twitter or any, any kind of online forum or this sort of stuff. Very often you'll find somebody who, for whatever reason, likes to create other accounts and pretend to be other people. And that sort of person, you know, some of them are actually good, to be fair. The, the, the ones that are good, you don't see. So there's a sampling bias here. But the ones that I see, very often you can feel the tone of the author in the tweets or in the comments in the forum or whatever. And you feel it so much that you can almost identify, it's almost eerie the extent to which out of a, a, a string of text, not even that much, you can tell, oh, I know who you are. You know, I, I see, you know, you're actually this guy. Um, you're actually this, this person. And it's, it's that sort of thing but it just comes across. It's, it's like, I mentioned the Woody Allen thing, but it's, it's very overhanded, like very heavy handed, where you'll just, you, it's not even subtle. There's no attempt made to mask what is being done. Um, and you could, you could write a similar story if you wanted to have the same kind of thing and not have it be just that. Uh, you know, like, and then also like you'll have the person who's making the count, like, well, not really making the counter argument, but they're making a sort of um, sock kind of uh, straw man version of the counter argument. So it's like, you know, you have this puppet who's like, oh, I'm the, and, and they're making the argument against you, which is obviously easy to tear down because the person who's making the argument is building this fake thing up to specifically to tear it down. And it's obvious as shit. But objectivism tells you, going, converging back a little bit, objectivism tells people that the highest good is to be selfish, personally selfish. Do whatever is in your own interest. That's what you should pursue. It basically is a permission slip to be an asshole. Um, it, it is the opposite of how you form a, a society that works. And I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons why uh, I always look at, uh, what the fuck's his name? It's not Rand Paul, it's, um, God, I can't even think of the guy's name. Paul Ryan, and random white dude. The reason that Paul Ryan, being the supposedly intellectual brain trust of the Republican Party, um, this, this motherfucker who is an objectivist and reads Ayn Rand like, you know, like it's fucking Bible. Um, it, it just, it shows me uh, both the, the shallowness of, like, because if you actually have studied philosophy, uh, maybe you are familiar or you're at least aware of this kind of stuff, but there's so much other stuff. Even if you want to go down that kind of a path, so much better stuff out there. And, you know, you have this hypocritical shitbag uh, Anne Rand, who explained all of this stuff, 
and then lived on the dole. You know, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing, actually. The people who are accusing others of being freeloaders kind of maybe look at them. It's like somebody who's accusing everybody of stealing. Uh, if you're not a thief, you probably very rarely think about people stealing stuff, unless somebody actually steals something from you. It's not a thing that enters your mind. It never occurs to me, hey, they're a thief. Yeah, and, and the people who are just constantly, you're a thief, you're a thief, you're a liar, you're a liar. Um, probably a liar. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just like, why do you have that energy? It, it, I'm not saying it automatically makes you a thief, but I am saying somebody's accusing somebody of something, at least kind of look into it, at least kind of think about it. Maybe there's a reason that they have that energy there. And I say energy, um, it sounds new. I, I've, I've, I, I say that it's in part of my kind of, um, I, I guess, vocabulary for this kind of thing. I don't mean that there's like some kind of cosmic energy, like new agey weird shit. I just mean like in terms of there is a, an impetus to talk about this, an impetus to think about it. There is in their mind something that directs them in this path, in this way. Um, so people that have that have it for a reason, generally speaking. Um, not always. You know, maybe it was somebody who had a couple of things stolen from them and so they, they're paranoid about it. But there's at least a reason there that you can understand. Now, of course, try again not to just come up with a reason that makes enough sense that you go, okay, a good story, got that buttoned up, I'm, I can move on. Could be your marshmallow thing. But, yeah, Anne Rand, big fucking hypocrite uh, and an asshole. And she gave permission, like the, the whole thing about it, honestly, is just, it's a permission slip. That's, I, I, I swear this is why people like it. It's like, oh, I wanna be selfish. Um, and now I've got this thing that tells me that's the greatest good. You can, you can demonstrate, and this is actually gonna get to another thing that's a good story that's not necessarily, uh, there's this idea of the tragedy of the commons. Um, again, great story, sounds right. Uh, turns out not quite as, as accurate as you would think, but the idea is there's this common green area um, that's unregulated and you have people who are say sheep herders and they can come in and feed their sheep. And the tragedy of the commons is this idea that if everybody's kind of collectively working together somehow, you can coordinate things so everybody can succeed and nobody's really suffering. But if you have one asshole who gets in there, um, they can have their sheep overgraze and then there's nothing for anyone, including them, by the way. Um, turns out it's more complicated than that. There, there's a kernel of truth to that, but there's also, um, interestingly enough, and I think this goes to the freeloader problem, interestingly enough, most people are not assholes. Uh, given, and this is not just me saying this, this is empirically, empirically borne out. Um, most people, if you give them this kind of opportunity, um, they, they might, so here's the tricky thing. If, if you suddenly gave people universal basic income, um, a lot of the people who have been poor will probably go on a splurge, they'll go on a spending spree. Um, it's, it's hard not to do. And especially if you've been deprived and all of a sudden you have this massive, well, to you now, massive resource that you didn't have, it's tempting. 
and I, I, I would even say, you know, there's, there's the, um, what is it? The, the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. Um, there's this idea that I think might actually have something to it that a little bit of splurging, a little bit of going crazy helps you kind of find the boundary and then realize, okay, this is a thing I can do, but you know, I'm an adult now. I'm not going to go, I, I could buy all of the candy literally could go. I mean, you think about this and when you're a kid, imagine you could go to the drugstore and buy all the candy, literally all the candy or certainly all the candy you want. I could easily do that right now. Um, but I won't do it because it would make me sick. And also it's kind of an asshole thing to do because there are other people that couldn't have candy because I was being a selfish dick. Um, so yeah, th and th this is a thing like, uh, there's a point I think in your development where going through that step is actually kind of important. But once you've done it, once you understand, okay, you have all of this that you need. Um, you're okay. You don't need to, don't need to panic. You don't need to act like it's this scarce resource that you're just going to have this one time windfall of people will reset generally and be fine about it. And for the most part, uh, there are certainly examples. I mean, you can, you can see plenty of examples of somebody who becomes a millionaire and then they get broke and actually millions of dollars in debt. Super easy to do. Um, but I think that's partly because that windfall, um, came all at once. If you gave them a little thing, if you gave somebody like, okay, here's, uh, you have a hundred thousand dollars in your bank account. Um, maybe you blow through that. You know, you're, you've been poor all of a sudden hundred thousand dollars, still a lot of money, but then you blow through it and then you're kind of like, okay. Well, also first off, oh shit, that's not that much money puts it into perspective. And second, you're kind of like, okay, I've, it, it brings you to more of a, a balance, I think. And now you become a millionaire and you're like, okay, probably not gonna have 50 people on my staff who I'm paying, you know, nice salaries for so that they can blow smoke up my ass. Because if you do that instant debt, probably not going to go like crazy, crazy on stuff. Um, you don't need to have 10 houses or whatever. I think, and again, like there are exceptions, but I think that's generally how people are. Um, if you give people free lunches, they're not good. If you give kids as much food as they want, the ones that are deprived will at first probably, you know, take a lot of them and some will have poor impulse control, but eventually you kind of learn, okay, moderate yourself a little bit. Um, and, and of course you can also say, you know, okay, you're not giving like an insane amount. Um, the, the other part of this freeloader thing, uh, this one's the, the trick that people always use is like, oh, well, if you're giving $2,000 to everybody, you're going to give Jeff Bezos, you're going to give this guy, um, who's on track to become a trillionaire, $2,000 a month. Well, first off to him, $2,000 a month, not even a material amount of money, you know, not even something that, you know, does not move the needle. Second, in terms of taxes, even though he's not paying nearly as much as he should be by a significant margin, he's already paying more than that. So this, this is really the lie that's there. Giving free college to everybody. You know, if, if somebody is wealthy enough to go to Harvard and to pay for it, 
they might not go to Arizona State, for example. And if Arizona State is free to everybody, who gives a fuck, honestly, if some millionaire wants their kid to go to ASU? Because they're going to pay, assuming things are done right, they're gonna pay taxes, which allow that to exist. And it's a public good that helps everyone. The, the world is much better if everybody is well-educated. If, I mean, it's, it's, it also goes into this kind of zero-sum thinking. It's easy to think of, like, there's a finite amount of stuff. And if you have something, I can't. Um, it's very easy to think that. And it, technically, there's a finite amount of energy in the universe. Entropy limits what we can do. But these numbers are so vast compared to what we have. Um, the, the amount of energy that the sun just spits out into the, to the universe, every moment is so much more than we could ever, well, we certainly could use it, but than we do use now at our current rate of consumption, that it's just, right, you know, it, it is almost silly to be metering it. Um, so that's, that's a thing. Uh, the, the neoliberal thing is a big problem. Um, this idea that everything should be run like a business, stupid, wrong, I'm sorry. Um, it's just, it's annoying. Um, given the structure of my audience, this might not come off uh, that great, but uh, communism also. I, I would say it's kind of like the opposite side of the coin of objectivism, where both of these things don't really understand human nature. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I think uh, communism not necessarily something that, uh, well, they, they, uh, so the idea, from each according to their ability to each according to their means. Sounds great, great story. Uh, and at some point, I do think that the cost of things goes down sufficiently that basically, you know, you can kind of go off and do what you want to do. Uh, and you imagine you're in a post, well, not necessarily post-scarcity, but a, a close enough to post-scarcity that the cost of all of the stuff that you need to live and enjoy life basically is nothing or very, you know, imagine that an iPhone cost 10 cents. You know, you, you, if you wanted, you could have a thousand iPhones and it still wouldn't break the bank, but you're probably just gonna have one. When things start getting to that level, you know, you do start getting a lot of stuff where everybody has things that now would be considered luxuries become just commonplace and that is that is true but when you try to give everybody like oh uh, or anarchy anarchism sounds great as well that's like oh we have no leaders um yeah sounds good we don't have any hierarchical structure sounds good the problem is that there are reasons that most organizations have hierarchical structure and leaders and you may be able to get away with not having those for certain things. Uh, I, I think this goes really to what it is. There are certain areas where, you know, like if you want to make a good iPhone and you want to make it as cheaply as possible, private enterprise, you know, using a, a shit ton underneath the hood of publicly funded research and, you know, a lot of people who have been educated in public institutions, Private enterprise built on all of that can give you a good iPhone. It can do things like that much better than the government would, than institutional kind of organizations. But if you want to do things like healthcare, 
uh, like having, you know, having healthcare for everybody, having drugs not be insanely expensive, not having people become, you know, indebted or uh, go bankrupt because their kid got sick or they got in a car crash. If you want that, government is actually good for it. There are certain things like streetlights. You could, if you wanted, you could have private streetlights, you could have private streets, you could have the sort of like libertarian dream, actual nightmare um, of everything is kind of, you know, just run by everybody. And, you know, if, if you're wealthy, you can have your own freeway. It's like, well, kind of. Even if, it's an interesting thing. Even if you're Jeff Bezos, Bezos, Be I, I never, in fact, fuck the guy. I hope I'm, I hope I'm mispronouncing his name. If you're this guy and you have, by most standards, essentially limitless resources, you're not in a position to have, like the amount of money that it takes to build the infrastructure that it would need to have like a good life um, in terms of streets, power distribution, sewer, water, all of this stuff. You couldn't possibly, even Jeffrey, even Jeffrey couldn't afford it. Could not. And, and he is like the wealthiest dude in fucking history. Well, it, certainly at the present, probably, you know, depending on oligarchs and whatever. Yeah. But uh, probably, arguably. And you, know, you think about that. Most people couldn't do it. And then if you had people who are semi, like by normal standards, wealthy, you could have a nice house or you could even potentially have a village but your village isn't going to be connected to stuff. It's not going to have all of the massive infrastructure and all of the support staff that it takes to run something like that. The stuff, there's just stuff that we can do better together. And this idea that, um, like utilities, for example, the, the, the idea that I pay uh, Cox a, a stupidly large amount per month for internet that is kind of shitty by today's standards. And you know, that, that stupidly large amount, they keep ratcheting it up and it's interesting because they've paid for the infrastructure basically. So the non-recurring engineering costs, the investment is there and it's getting amortized out over who knows how many years. They're clearly not doing a ton to improve it because of a lot of problems with it. But every year, if you don't pay attention, they ratchet the prices up and they ratcheted up higher and higher and higher. I started out paying like 50 or 60 bucks a month for internet that wasn't much worse than what I have now. And now I think I'm paying like 100. I don't even know, it's part of the problem, but it's it's gone up by like almost 2x. And it's just, it's insane actually. Um, incidentally, I have a tendency to use insane or crazy. And I worry about that being ableist and I kind of like, kick myself a little bit for doing it. Uh, but yesterday I was talking with my therapist and I caught myself saying it, said something. And she said, oh, I use crazy too. Made me kind of think, uh, and she's not like a, uh, you know, she's a pretty liberal person as well. Um, I, it makes me feel like I have a permission slip a little bit. I, I don't feel great about using it, but I don't think it's like, uh, there are words that I think are definitely worth avoiding. I'm gonna, I'm not going to avoid probably the crazy or the insane. Um, I think they're fine. Um, I'm sorry, man. Yeah.
so you know anyway this is just a kind of drift of a drift of a drift the the whole the whole thing here i think and and actually i guess this is gonna it's gonna seem like a jump but then hopefully we'll kind of button all of this up another thing that i keep thinking about and speaking of iphones i'm, I'm sorry i'm going to talk about apple a lot um, steve jobs used to go back to this quote by wayne gretzky and i think it was um, always skate to where the puck is going to be not where the puck is it's probably more poetic than that but basically that was the idea don't go after where things are go after where, where they will be i think this um, in addition to just looking at things kind of at a, a deeper level and trying not to have too many toy models or too many stories you know it, it's a red flag if it, if i tell you a story and it seems right um, that is when I, I talk about bullshit detectors all the time your bullshit detector should go off not only if something is wrong like seems wrong but if something seems too right and it's too simple that's a that's actually a red flag if something makes too much sense especially if it's something that has consequences you should go hmm maybe i should think about this more and i don't mean that you should start thinking conspiratorially um, some things are actually simple but i do mean that you should kind of reflect a little bit and i, I think actually conspiracy theories are the most facile uh, sort of simplest yeah, they're, they're definitely not parsimonious in the sense that they require all kinds of crazy bullshit to, to be happening for them to work. But in terms of like Occam's razor and cutting out improbable complex explanations for things, um, generally speaking, a conspiracy theory lets you explain away anything and put a, you, you can add in as many epicycles as you want to make it work. And as soon as somebody that the worst thing about them is that it's not just a story that seems right uh, feels right to people but as soon as somebody comes up with evidence that shows that some major part of that is wrong then in, in the conspiratorial thinking sort of mindset you're able to come up with some other explanation that bypasses that or that makes here's a great one you make the evidence that what you're saying is wrong turn into evidence for what you're saying yeah. uh, it, this is a this is another warning sign if you have too much confirmation like too much stuff supports what you already believe or seems to red flag it's a it's a thing like if you uh, and the, the thing is this is where other people are actually very useful because if somebody is telling you you know i think you're wrong here um it, it doesn't mean that they're right. It doesn't mean that you are wrong, but it's a, it's a light. It's a, they're shining their light on something that was a shadow for you. And you can go in and hopefully as objectively as you can reflect on that and do some research and say, maybe I was wrong. Or the other possibility is you look at it and you have to be very careful here, but you look at it and you say, oh, well actually, no. I'm more confident in my, in my assessment. And you have to obviously, you know, I mean, the danger of confirmation bias and just looking at that and just seeing the stuff that supports you 
um, is very great. So you have to balance it, but try and, and try. That's all I can say. So anyway, this, this where the puck is going thing, I, I keep thinking, and here's where I get back to politics, which I can't, I can't avoid. I keep thinking about the Democrats and the whole neoliberal um, consensus thing. And this idea, I mean, part of it also is this idea that there's this imaginary middle uh, where everybody is, uh, which is not true, of course. I've explained this before, but just to mention again, hammer the point home, most people are not in the middle. Like, it's not like the two parties are two extremes. The two, I mean, you know, okay, Republicans, far right, Democrats, really right of center, uh, but relatively center. And then you have people like Bernie who are left of center, but not ridiculously so. I know people who are much, much further left than him. And I think part of the problem actually is that, you know, people see Bernie and with everybody kind of skewed so far to the right, they see that and they're like, oh, he's so far to the left. It's just because the, the Overton window is so closed. And I, I do think he's opening it. I do think like if you look at that, there was a, a poll very recently that showed something like 80, maybe it was even higher, like mid 80s percent of Democrats were for Medicare for all. And the important thing was that overall, something like 69% of people, um, including Republicans and giant air quote independents are for it. So when you start thinking about that, um, where is the puck? Well, you're chasing after where you imagine it is. First off, they're not even chasing the actual place that people are. They're chasing where they think it is and where they think it is is not checked by reality. Second, you know, you look at the exit polls, even the, even the people who voted for Biden support Bernie, by and large. Um, it, it's an interesting thing. There's this whole, uh, like, by, I guess it's like uh, prejudice by proxy. It's, I'm totally a supporter of Bernie, but I don't think other people are, so I'm not, you know, it's like, oh. or the, the one that I hate, I think he's going to lose, so I'm not going to vote for him. Like, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? But also, people believe already in his ideas. If you look at the Democrats who went in these exit polls, the people who voted for Biden still are for universal health care. They're for uh, Green New Deal, these, these ideas. Certainly a majority, and in some cases, a significant majority. So this is a thing. The where is the puck now? Where is it? First off, know where it is, really. And second, where is it going? And where it's going seems obvious, and it definitely isn't fucking Mayor Pete and um, Joe Biden. You know, it's just disgusts me that this is a this is where people are are just hell bent on steering toward. Um, and the thing is, I do think I am cautiously optimistic that assuming that you know, like things are not broken permanently by Trump. I am cautiously optimistic, or, or by Joe if he wins, I'm cautiously optimistic that in a decade, maybe give or take, we will have universal health care. We'll be on track to being like where other countries were decades ago. Uh, greatest country in the world. Thank you, America. Uh, and I, I do love America. I love my country. But this whole fucking myth that we have about ourselves being the best, uh, I always think of... Jerry Seinfeld, 
you know, there, there was a Seinfeld episode where he is imagining he's the fastest runner and he wouldn't race because he's so fast in his mind. But as soon as you race, you could get beaten. And, you know, I choose not to run. Well, I choose not to run almost certainly guarantees that you're not going to be the fastest runner, not testing yourself, not looking, not looking around the world at how other people are doing stuff almost guarantees you cannot be the best. And this is why, this is actually why I think, you know, it, it's so important, not, not just to expand people, but I think everybody should travel. And I mean, the current situation notwithstanding, but travel, live in another country, and really not just do the thing where like you're a tourist, you go to Paris and then you're like, oh, this is so, you know, actually like kind of live there, um, sort of experience it a little bit hopefully meet some locals and get enmeshed in the, um, the society a little so you can really feel the day-to-day -day life of people. And when you do that, you come back, some things are shitty there and some things are really nice. Look at the shitty stuff and say, hey, we're better than this. We don't have to do that fucking shit. Let's, let's avoid that. Um, but you can also look at the nice stuff and go, wow, you know, they have this carte vitale I, the fact that we don't have a carte vitale in the United States is disgusting. Um, not, not just because it's like this universal healthcare card, but just every time I go to the doctor, every time you go to a new doctor, you get these same fucking forms. They're not actually the same forms. They're the same information, basically, but different forms. And you fill out this stack of forms, and it's, it's very error-prone, first of all. So there's a whole thing about medical history. If you forget something or if somebody lies then the medical history is not accurate. If you have this carte vitale kind of thing, you just have an ID card, all of your shit, all of your tests, all of your doctor visits, all of the drugs you've ever taken are right on there. Your entire medical history, a doc, you go to the doctor, they can see, oh, when you were six, you broke your wrist. Yeah, it's like, I, I mean, imagine what it could be like. That's how it should be. Um, it's something we should be working toward. And it's something actually like we have little hints of it. The, the VA for its failures. Um, and it, it seems that individual VA hospitals are, um, and their services are very dependent on which one you go to. Uh, some seem to be very good, some seem to be pretty shitty. But independent of that, their medical records system is closer to what it should be because um, you can track all of that stuff. You don't have to go to a new doctor, give them all the same information again. Um, it's just, you know, it, it, there are things like that that, you know, just steal the idea. Places that are nice to walk, you know, like you walk around and, and actually like the, the converse of that, in Paris, if you have a dog and you want to go to like a dog park, if you don't, if you live inside of the city, you're kind of fucked. Almost every place says Chien Interdit. Like the, they have a little picture of a dog with a little slash through it. It's a little green space. No dogs there. So your dog is stuck um, pooping on the sidewalk. And of course you have a, a thing where people are not doing nice courteous things. Um, so people will just leave dog shit places. Yeah. Rather than picking it up. Don't take that one. Yeah. But do look, you know, go through a roundabout. Go through the UK, go through the roundabouts, learn how to do them first of all, don't be an idiot. But if you know how to do them, they're 
are so fucking good. It's just, it's one of those things where like you try it and you're like, this is, this is right. This is the way it should be. And I think there are a lot of things like that where you like, once you've tried something better, uh, this is the way it should be. You know, the, the example is a stupid example, but the example that I give is um, you have a key, you have a physical key, get in your car, um, hit the brake, turn the key on, put the key in, turn it, start the car up. And then you get a Prius and you're like, oh, I just touched the start button. Compared to the key, this is the way things should fucking be. And then, you know, you do that for a while, everybody starts copying it. And then you try a Tesla and you're like, okay, I just walk to the car, open the door, sit down and then go. You don't even need to press a start button. And of course, in retrospect, why did you have to press the start button? Well, because, you know, nobody thought like, why even have the start button? And you do that and you're like, this is the way it should be. And I think there are a lot of things like that, like the roundabout, this is the way it should be. Having a carte vitale, this is the way it should be. Having SOS medicine, like if, instead of having to go to an emergency room, unless, I mean, it's different if you have something where it's like really critical and you need like surgical intervention immediately. But for the most part, say you're having a stroke or something like this, call SOS medicine, a doctor comes, and part of this is also enabled by density to be fair, but that notwithstanding, doctor comes to your place and a doctor, by the way, not like a, not a paramedic, not a surgical or not a, not a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner, a MD, like a proper fucking doctor, or even I think two generally come to your place, take care of you. They have a kit of all the stuff that, um, that they need. And then if you need to, they'll take you to the hospital, but they can stabilize you. They can get all of the stuff that you need as quickly as possible. And it doesn't cost, it actually is about the same cost as a very cheap ER visit and probably less than that, generally speaking. Having that, like once you see that, of course this is how it should be. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's so silly. And then there are other things where, I mean, the one that gets me, I, I drive and as I drive, you know, I, I've noticed the very often, and this is partly also the, you know, the streets don't have turn lanes. So uh, a lot of streets here, it's just, it's three lanes, which is nice. But then if you're going to turn right, there's no lane to come off to the, to the right to turn. So what happens almost all the time is if you're going to turn right and there's somebody in front of you in the right lane and they're not going to turn, you have to wait a light cycle. It's like it's, it's not like the end of the world. It's not a big deal, but if they would have just taken half a moment to go a lane over and let the right lane be reserved for the people that want to turn right. Yeah. It just works better. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, it, anyway, it's, I, I don't want to get too much into this, but I would love the idea that we kind of go out and we steal the best ideas and bring them back here and make them better. Even, you know, like steal the roundabout, maybe even, improve on it and do it steal fucking oh, yeah the, i'm i'm not gonna say the metric system is perfect but the idea that we have um I, i'm not even gonna guess how many numbers of ounces go into a pound or um, 
fluid ounces into a cup or any of this bullshit. The idea that you have the metric system and you use that is just ridiculous. Um, not, not even, you know, like ignoring places where that's actually caused problems. It's just so weird. The, the one thing, the one thing that I kind of grudgingly do give the imperial system is temperature. Um, not because I, I, I like Celsius. I use it, um, temperature on my watch. It's 25 degrees out right now. Doesn't mean it's freezing. Um, but, but, you know, the difference between 25 and 26, pretty significant. 30 to 32, it's a pretty big difference. Um, and that in, in like an hour, it'll be that. The difference between like 75 and 80 in Fahrenheit, maybe it's just that uh, that was what I grew up with, but uh, it, it feels better, it works better. Uh, maybe something else would be better too, but although that's, you know, trying to come up with a new temperature scale is probably not worth it. But it's, it's just, you know, you kind of think about it. It, it does, once you see like a cubic centimeter of water is, you know, a, a milliliter, and then you have all of these things that are in, like interconnected, the density of water at standard temperature and pressure is one gram per cubic centimeter. And then, you know, you kind of go from there. It just makes sense. It seems so much nicer. You know, how many, how many yards in a mile? I don't fucking know. I, you know, and I do know because I've, I grew up with it 5,280 feet in a mile because of course that makes total sense. A thousand meters in a kilometer. Like, yeah, that, which one do you think should be? Yeah. Uh, the, the one that also kills me, this is a bizarre tangent. It has nothing to do with any of the stuff that I was talking about, but um, just like when you're, if you're doing any kind of, say, say you're drilling a hole and you want to, you have a 1 16th hole because you're using the Satan's units basically. 1 16th. And then you start looking at different drill bits and you have things in 30 seconds and 60 fourths the amount of conversion that you have to do to go like, okay, 1 16th is 2 seconds, So, you know, like 3 seconds, or, or it's uh, 4 64ths. So 5 64ths is a little bit bigger than it. It's just, it, it's so much extra mental work versus some number of millimeters. Uh, it's just, it's bizarre to me that this is the way that, you know, I, I mean, it, the fact that you could look at the way things can be and see the way things are. I mean, similarly, actually, um, when you're doing general relativity or a lot of advanced physics, they use geometrized units. And in geometrized units, basically you define the speed of light as one. Why? Well, because you're converting units of distance and units of time. So they're both basically the same. Um, one meter is the amount of it's equivalent to the amount of time that it takes light to travel in one meter. And so now you have, you know, almost everything just collapses out and becomes nice and clear and simple. Um, although uh, taking that back to the lab frame becomes ugly. Uh, so that I'm, I'm not suggesting that we start using like light seconds for how tall you are. Um, but it's, it's interesting when you see sort of, for that context, that's the way it should be. Um, anyway, with that, I think uh, I think that's good enough for today. So, 
thank you as always for listen, or listening. It's, uh, it's it's kind of a pleasure to to hear from people, so I, I appreciate that, uh, as surreal as it is. It's interesting, I uh, the videos generally only get, you know, like, some of them get like 10 views or something like that, so I, I still am interested in making them, um, but seems like the, the audio is where people are more interested in, in being, at least for now. So I will, I'm gonna continue both anyway, but uh, it's because the video is so much, it, Almost in my current workflow, it's basically just part of the process, so not really any cost to it. Um, but for the audio, especially, thank you for listening. If you're watching me make weird hand gestures here, um, the video is great too. You can have that off in the background and then see me just awkwardly standing here. Yeah, why not? But uh, but with that, thanks again and.